The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the Boeing Company presents the conclusion of Turning Disruptors into Enablers, a professional development seminar. Featuring Vice President, Global Head of Talent, Michael Cox, Vice President of Information Technology, Denise Russell Fleming, Vice President and General Manager, Kristen Robertson, Interim Director, IT and Data Analytics, David Canada, and Chief Engineer and CTO, Raynard Turpin. It has been said that necessity is the mother of invention. Real or imagined needs have always inspired a search for new and better ways to meet those needs. Along that journey, challenges present themselves requiring changes in course. Some of these changes are incremental steps while others are paradigm shifts. All can lead to accelerated progress if the obstacles are perceived as opportunities for positive change. The Boeing Company is a global leader in the aerospace and defense industry and has been for over a century. Come discuss with Boeing leadership about how to embrace diversity and inclusion, how to convert disruptors in technology, business, and your personal development into enablers for achievement. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the Boeing Company presents Turning Disruptors into Enablers, Part 2. Featuring Michael Cox, Denise Russell Fleming, Kristen Robertson, David Canada, and Raynard Turpin. Uh, I guess I didn't want to be a dis disruptor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, Tony Dinkins, I work in IT at Boeing. Um, I got a question that's kind of like scrambled down here, but I'm going to try to piece it together. So, uh, I think it's obvious that all of you have embraced the idea of being a, a disruptor and, and how that can enable a company or anyone to be successful. Um, but that's not always the case, especially with management at Boeing. And so, as early career employees and mid-career employees and even managers employees that may be working under leaders who are reluctant to um, embrace, you know, the idea of disruption and being proactive rather than reactive to change. How do we empower those, you know, who are in our, in our leadership in kind of a bureaucratic environment to um, embrace change, you know, and to be proactive in those types of, um, in the areas that we, we recognize that there's room for us to improve and grow in? Yeah, I, th I think I think it starts with, uh, you know, even looking looking around and you're, you're probably not the only one thinking that. Right. And so it's finding other people and go in numbers too, and be able to build advocacy and then trying to get the leaders to think it's their idea. I, I just read an article. It was uh, and I read a lot of Twitter feeds and LinkedIn feeds and other and um, I think it was a, a former um, Marine that was coming up through the ranks and was leading a very difficult maintenance shop. And this is on the Rowcraft side, but he told a story about leadership and leaders that listen to their teams because he didn't, he didn't know the shop, he didn't know all the um, you know, ins and outs, but he was willing to listen. And so I share that because I think you know, there's, there's gonna be always gonna have experience, you're always gonna have experience on the team and if you can go in some number of numbers so you're not alone, um, but go to those that are receptive, that their eyes are kind of with you. You can kind of tell by body language and other right. that they're kind of, yeah, I see what you see. I see what you see. I agree. And just, you know, um, try to build uh, a movement around that and get advocacy, whether it's grassroots and then get some leaders and change agents um, on board to go start making those changes. I mean, that's what I did. Just do not give up and um, be persistent. Sometimes you have to repackage an idea, um, and, but, but find those other change agents and band together and uh, be persistent, find the, those folks and, and go after them. So, you know, I, I'd say that sometimes, well, I firmly believe people wake up in the morning with the intention of doing the right thing. Sometimes people don't know the right thing to do and they may need some exposure to help them to understand some other things to consider. And so sometimes if you might look at another group that might have a leader who is illustrating the behavior that you're seeking, to so sometimes bring into the room, well, you know, I know on the other team, they're doing such and such. 
And, you know, that might make that person more receptive. And, you know, you're referring back to one of their peers who may be doing something a little bit more innovative and they may choose to adopt. And sometimes you can, by example, help people to see other ways of thinking about things. So sometimes it's, it's helpful for you if you feel like you're in a place where you're not getting that um, inclusion or the opportunities within that team to kind of find out what other people are doing and bring that into the room to that leader to consider and maybe help to change their perspective. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you, it would be wise to have a conversation uh, with that leader in terms of what do they feel makes them successful? Once again, we're all here to make each other successful. We succeed as a company when that happens. Um, what I find that happens in many cases, we come with an idea versus a solution or a proposal. Uh, and you can, that's where I would suggest that you reach out uh, it's been talked about, build that consensus, come with a team such that your idea is actually matured into an overall solution or proposal uh, that, in, that enables that business unit, that leader uh, to feel successful and engaged and actually turn them into an advocate. The only thing I'll add and I'll add it quickly is use all avenues that are available to you. So it's not just the one avenue of having a conversation with that leader. We also have engagement surveys. We also have other channels in which to communicate feedback mm -hmm. and make sure that you do that in, in a way that you feel you've satisfied every avenue that you can. I would also say be prepared for the feedback that may come back. In some cases, what that leader is doing that appears they're resisting change, there may be a reason deeper in the organization I just learned this whole thing about cost policy. So <laughs> for our finance partners in the room, you got me, I believe it now. Um, but I mean, so just be prepared that there may be a reason, so then you learn, but give them the benefit of giving them the opportunity to learn too. Thank you. How you doing? My name is uh, James LeBlanc. I work with the Boeing Company down in uh, Seattle, LLC. Uh, so my question is actually kind of related to the previous question. Um, it's regarding managerial blocking. So that's kind of the method where a manager will kind of step in in the way of your progression or an opportunity because you're so reliable in your role, especially in technology, that they don't want to move you. In some cases, they'll go take desperate measures by even telling other leaders that you're you're a poor performer or you know something's wrong with you, so you shouldn't move on, right? And it's not true. I'm old enough to know that this is not a reflection of an entire company, but it's just something that's common in technology, and so not all leaders get the memo, right? So my question is, what are some of the ways that Boeing leadership um, encourages or trains managers to kind of really develop their people and help them move on to the next level? And also, what is your advice to some of the people that feel that they were blocked? How do they go about handling that? How do they go about moving to the next level? Yeah, James, boy, you asked you asked the hard question. <laughs> I really appreciate the, the courage. Um, so good for you. So, Blocking, like when I hear stories like that, it honestly, it, it breaks my heart. Um, we as leaders should always be encouraging, regardless in the company, companies 150,000 people plus strong, right? We have so much opportunity. We need to be growing at all levels. You know, we're not a single point, you know, solution, right? Um, and we need to be growing across, growing up, et cetera. I think um, one of the things that came to mind, James, as you shared that, um, was really back to um, peers, almost influencing peers and kind of role modeling. I think that's one of the ways to kind of root that out. Um, uh, seeking mentors outside to maybe influence and advocate um, also is another way. Uh, or, uh, you know, seeking alternative um, options, right? Um, other assignments, other, and, and within Boeing, I mean, there's there's no dead end. You have many, many ways, um, whether it's through lateral assignments, um, change of assignments, you know, you, you said LLOC, so I mean, you know all the opportunities to be retrained, retooled, reskilled. If that's a, um, a dead end area, there's always alternatives to renew and refresh and go do something totally different and you don't have to change your 401k and benefits, which is a great thing, um, and all that. But I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is with leaders influencing in a positive way, and that's why I think the Boeing behaviors, it sets a standard for what we should do. Granted, it's not perfect, but we need to root that out over time. That will all hopefully 
um, you know, those folks will retire or get out of leadership positions because that's not a leader. Um, we need to be more selfless and not selfish. We need to be promoting our people wherever they are in the organization and help them to grow. And we can do that by, um, you know, peers and reaching out to mentors. So if there, there are some folks, point them in. You've got um, five people right here that are more than willing. There's many leaders and um, vice presidents and engineering power in the room. Um, refer them over and somebody will uh, help engage. So thank you for having the courage to ask that question. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say, I'm sorry. I just, okay. That I actually had that happen to me earlier. And, um, you know, I wasn't an individual contributor, but I was in a, ma a manager role. And um, I, when I saw that happen, I said, I'm going to make it my business from now on to make sure I'm not the only one who knows what I know. Um, and so part of this, too, is um, as a manager, you have an obligation to make sure that you are building that, you know, knowledge within your team. Um, but for me, when I realized that, you know, I was going to kind of be held there until it was somebody else who was competent, then I made sure that I was working kind of in pairs, I had a teammate, or um, you know, I was building talent within my team uh, to be able to make sure that that wasn't the reason. Because I can, I can understand it, it's not fair um, to, to do that to someone and hold them back and continue to grow and develop. So you know, seek out those avenues to have conversations with people to get help around that. Um, and so, you know, so I can understand where you're coming from having been there before. Um, you know, and just think about how do you have to get the right people involved to be able to help you and then make sure that you're not an island. Yeah, and I'd just like to just reinforce and give testimony that this advice is correct. Um, I've been on the other side helping individual that actually receive that type of treatment. And um, what made this individual successful is that they leveraged the network. Uh, they reached out to their local executives and fortunately for the individual that reached out to me, uh, she had been a top performer in one of the programs that I oversaw when I was able to advocate. And ultimately, she's doing much better in the company now. So definitely take that advice. Uh, use your local executives, your, your leadership, if you see that happening. So I'm going to speak to the leaders in the room. Make sure that we're not putting systems in place that cause that very thing to happen. When it's punishing to open a requisition to get a backfill replaced, when that top talent moves, make sure that we're not putting those systems in. And then one of the things that we're going to do at Boeing is look at the value of talent exporting. So Denise is great at developing talent. Denise exports talent all the time. We want to recognize leaders like that that have the ability to do that. And so from a talent management perspective, that's one of the things that we're looking to put into place to stop that behavior, or at least to root it out when somebody just consumes but doesn't give. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so my question is in regards to like disruptors and innovation. And so I'm curious as to how we are as a company, I guess, making the shift from like block point innovation, such as like hackathons and like these, you know, once or twice a year pushes for innovation and pushing more towards like everyday innovation. Uh, I think that's really where we start to get ahead of disruptors or even become disruptors ourselves. And so I wanna, I'm, here, I'm curious to hear how you guys are kind of pushing for that movement. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, um, so to your point, I know you're referring to the fact that we've had hackathons, but they haven't been plentiful. Um, but you know, I think that that's, that's one way to do it. But I think the way that we work, leveraging the agile methodology, working and doing paired programming and working in sprints creates the opportunities for you to look at, you know, a body of work over a period of time and to ensure that you're getting the right uh, diversity of thought um, in the creation of that work to en enable you to innovate more often versus, you know, using this waterfall method where you're planned out over 12 to 18 months, you're locked into a plan, there's not that opportunity um, to think about new ways of doing things. Um, and that, um, so I think that's really important and it helps to drive that ongoing innovation and creativity and insertion of technology. Again, just because of the pace of change, if you've built a plan with that longevity, then if there's something else that comes out that's a better option for you to pursue, you've kind of locked yourself in. 
Um, so, you know, just the way we work and, you know, we're even changing the way that we do that in partnership with, uh, from an IT standpoint, the organizations that we help to serve. Um, you referenced Pat, my buddy too. So we, we work together and at the engineering tools that we're creating. And so we work and make sure that when we look at what's the need of trying to really understand what that need is and figuring out how in you know a short period of time we can execute and deliver capabilities iteratively. And you have that feedback loop in, in the process. So we've created something, we um, give it to the end user they recognize that there's some adjustments made. We come back, we make those adjustments. They say, yep, that's it. Now we're gonna continue to add capabilities that meet their evolving need. And I think that helps to drive that ongoing innovation because there's an expectation um, that you're gonna continue to have these um, releases. It takes a little bit of time because people want everything at once. And you know we've had to change our mindset around um, you know, being, uh, you know, having the, the iterative releases instead of one big bang. So it's a partnership um, in those who are creating and receiving the technology. I was going to add um, a real life story with MQ-25 program, and I don't know if anybody's heard the Navy's first fully autonomous uh, vehicle that's going to be off carrier, uh, first tanker, uh, really exciting. But what Back to your question about um, you know change in processes and disruption and agile and some of the technologies, this is a rapid acquisition program, and so maybe a little bit different um, aspect than the elements Denise brought up with sprints and agile methodology and all that. Our customer in this case is leaning in with us to go change how we do things in terms of the finance systems in terms of how we schedule, how we like lay out the work in incremental fashion, how we're trying to um, shift between parts of the work to go fast. The Navy needs and our nation needs this capability. They wanna get this capability fielded as quickly as possible so they're working with us to figure out how do I go shift test equipment or capabilities within different aircraft so I can get it quicker. Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is how we do the work. Being digital enables us to be able to do that a little quicker using some of the agile methodology, but then bringing the customer in and them having a willingness. So I'm seeing very positive signs in that direction. Um, but it takes, it takes the Admiral, myself, sometimes pushing on top because sometimes our teams, like the management in the middle, they don't want to move with us. They want to keep doing it the old way. You know, us is the way we've always done it, right? And so we're having to push. Um, and then we've got a lot of new employees that are like, they don't, they don't know what they can't do. <laughs> and then we're like saying, no, no, we need to go fast. So it's, it's, it's a great, um, you know, inflection point to just go fast and, and create a new process. Just thought I'd share that. Uh, good morning, or yeah, still morning. Uh, my name is Mike Rallamayu. Uh I'm in the ECFP Engineering Career Rotation Program here at Boeing. Uh, Michael, I just wanted to say thank you for you know in insisting and welcoming that um, empowerment. I think for me personally and professionally, I like to engage with, with people to kind of push and, and insist that you, you have a voice too. I have some notes here if I can get my face ID. Um, so the topic is uh, making the untapped uh, potential possible and so uh, I just wanted to ask for some examples that you guys may have in your respective teams or even in your personal lives of um, discovering that untapped potential um, finding ways to discover that unlock um, sometimes early careers are afraid to speak up or to challenge something or like you said um, it's just the way it's been done so it's not really a thing to unlock or to challenge and um, when I attend seminars like this, I like to ask like panel panelists, what is your call to action to, to early careers, mid-levels, top level, senior level? Um, what is something that we can leave here today with um, aligned with the message, of course? And, um, yeah. So I'll start and I'll do it the first part first. So one of the things I try to do is make sure that whenever I visit any of my teams in any location, I'm engaging with everyone it's very easy and especially, and it's not just Boeing, but it's anywhere to fill your meet your calendar up with meetings every day and be really busy, but not hear from the people across the organization you need to hear from. 
So one of the things I like to do is do uh, roundtables, listening sessions, whatever you want to call them, with a cross-section of people, not only from my team, but just from the location I'm in, because I'm still learning the business. I know probably about a half an inch of a thousand foot pool that I need to learn. So I try to be kind of um, actively engaged with as many people as I can. My call to action for the people in this room is, and one of the things I live by, and I don't mean this gender biased in any way, remember we all put our pants on the same way in the mornings. So when you run into a senior executive, whether it's the CEO or any, anyone else in the organization, approach them. Now, that requires that that leader be approachable, and that's a whole different question. But approach them, let them get to know you, and I think that helps address a lot of the questions that we've talked about. One of the things I love about Boeing, and I can say this with confidence compared to other organizations I've been in, I've never been in an organization where from the ex-go throughout leadership and recognizing there are pockets that this may not be true, but I've never been in an organization where the passion for talent uh, is so clear. And I think you saw that if you were at the Stars and Stripes Dinner last night when Leanne Correct came in. For those of you that don't know Boeing, uh, Leanne leads our uh, BDS, Boeing Defense and Space Division. She is a people person. And I was amazed how she talked to people about personal things that she hadn't seen this person in years and still knew that. So I would just, my call to action for you is make yourself bold enough to approach and then help that leader become approachable or find leaders that are approachable. I was just going to add one to the last one. So you can take it while you're sitting down. But um, another avenue, we've talked about diversity and inclusion uh, in terms of being able to tap uh, into that potential the inclusion part is very important. I think the Boeing company is making great strides in terms of increasing diversity, uh, but where we can all improve is the inclusion part. Once we're there, how do we facilitate, how do we make people engage and, and make sure that they're being engaged? Um, so there are two things, there are two parts of that. So Michael here talked about making sure that you're empowered. Bring yourself into work. Um, don't check yourself at the door. Bring your entire self into work. Make sure that you're engaging. And you know, a call for action for all the managers out there is to really permeate this message to your teams to make sure that we're pulling out uh, the best of everyone in that room. Because uh, there's someone that's really quiet in the corner that is a zealot that you need to hear from uh, that's not contributing today because they've been suppressed or they don't know how to communicate their, their interests. So. Okay, so another. Oh, oh go ahead. You know, I was just gonna add, and I, I know some in the room have heard me talk about um, my four C's but it kind of goes along the theme of untapped potential. And I think it's really important for many of you in the room to hear the message. The big part of Michael's point and um, Renaud's point, you know, having the courage and being open um, when that opportunity arises. And I talk about these four C's because untapped potential, I equate it to a diamond. Diamonds, you know, in their natural form aren't polished and shined. I mean, that's, that's all of us. You know, you've got a basic competency, right, is, is one. Nobody can ever take that away from you. You're in STEM fields. Know your stuff. Know your domain. Do great things. You've got that basic competency. I mean, think a ton of the world does not have the technical expertise that you all have. It's pretty amazing. So that competence builds that foundation. Competence builds confidence. I've talked, I've got three mentees right in, the, right in the front row here, not to embarrass them, but right? I mean, confidence builds confidence. You can go out and do things. Confidence then allows you to make connections. Connections helps you build your network, right? And then the network opportunities arise, but you've got to have the courage, which is the last C, to be able to take that risk and go for it which might be uncomfortable, right? But that's how you really take that untapped potential and make it real. And I always thank my, my parents. They, they saw a diamond in the rough and they believed in me, encouraged me, and allowed me to, to grow. And that's, that's what we need. We need to polish the diamonds and, and create brilliance. How do you move past traditions that experienced employees are comfortable with to enable those in the company who are pushing for innovation to, to achieve that goal? And more specifically, 
how do you measure that the processes you put in place are effective in, in doing this and achieving this? Like, how do you, how do you measure it? Like, accountability? So I think you have to have the right feedback loops in place. And I think you mentioned the employee survey um, as one way to do that. But um, you've just got to have open and honest dialogue to really understand, do you have the right um, procedures and have the right culture built that allows you to be able to um, you know, tap into the full potential of the entire team. So I think that it's important that you have the, the right feedback loops in place and then you can take action. So being on the uh, forefront of introducing kind of destructive technologies, um, many of the times you have to challenge each other's original thoughts and assumptions. I find that it's, easily to, it's easier to get some, someone to move off of a tradition or a set of existing beliefs if you really just have them go back and examine what's driving those beliefs, right? So, um, and when you introduce what the new goal is and what the new objective is, after you've challenged them and actually had the conversation of what's really holding you at this point, uh, you can find new solutions at that point. Um, I have an example, we introduced a new product line for a satellite um, and we had a thermal engineer that says, we never design above this point, here is the number. It's 20 watts. And I said, well, where did that number come from? I don't know, but it's 20 watts. That's what we do. <laughs> um, well, what happens if it's 30? Well, let's go ahead and do the stress analysis. Let's look at fatigue over life and, and put some numbers behind that. Maybe we'll find that what they're doing in under other industries is acceptable for our application. And when you go through that process, you start dealing with facts and data, uh, you find that people are more able to move. So just going to that next layer of conversation, engaging, collaborating, having that candid conversation really helps. You're listening to Turning Disruptors into Enablers, a professional development seminar featuring Michael Cox, Denise Russell Fleming, Kristen Robertson, David Canada, and Reynard Turpin. Brought to you by the Boeing Company and the global catalyst for change, the Bay of STEM, Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Good morning. I'm a mechanical structural design and analysis engineer for the Boeing Company working at the Heath site. So my question kind of gears towards diversity in the BRGs. Um, I'll kind of give a little background. I understand the importance of diversity. Of course, it allows for a broader spectrum of ideas, knowledge, and perspective. And the BRGs, it allows for employee engagement, resources. And I really love the uh, community outreach we've had. Um, and I'll even give a shout out to Chris Duckworth. He's uh, the president right now for our chapter in Heath. He uh, volunteered his time to engage other employees, pretty much opened up to anybody. He had an Excel training so they could pretty much develop their career and um, kind of their background in case they want to move up. Because um, he asked the question, what does BRGs actually do for me? Like, we uh, kind of see what they're trying to gear towards, but what's the actual benefit? So he's like, well, maybe I can help employees move forward with that. And uh, it, it was supposed to just be uh, local, but it ended up being more national as other sites wanted to chime in and actually participate. So this kind of goes towards the question. Um, last year, Cinco de Mayo, we had a nacho bar. and. Um, I was uh, helping out filling out the condiment containers and everything, but I overheard another employee saying, um, well, I don't see the point of these BRGs. I mean, we're supposed to be one Boeing. I feel like it's dividing us. What's the point? Um, don't really see the benefit. It's, we're supposed to be here to work. So with that said, um, I kind of want to know what your take would be as far as engaging that employee and actually having that dialogue, maybe give him another uh, spark in his mind to kind of receive or um, understand the importance of diversity in the BRGs within the company. So I'll, oh. oh, the Boeing resource groups. Um, yeah, there's a multitude of them. So Boeing resource groups, other companies, employee resource groups, associate resource groups. So great question. Um, and I, I think somewhere along the way, some organizations, some individuals, and remember what I said earlier about our workforce of 160,000 is representative of the societies in which we do business, right? So, and we know that there is tension, dissension, 
matters of difference opinion on the value of diversity in some cases. One of the best approaches I've seen is um, inviting people who don't see the value in BRGs into the BRGs. Somehow we went wrong somewhere, and this isn't just Boeing, to say you have to be a woman to be a member of the women's BRG. It's not the case. Be an ally and be a member of the women's BRG. Be an ally for a community that you're not part of. One of the things I've done for several years is affiliated with ERGs or BRGs where I've wanted to personally grow and develop my knowledge. Um, so when you hear a comment like that, engage that person, invite them to join because there's so much goodness that can come out of their exposure to the community that the BRG is representing, as well as then they get to be seen as an ally for a community which may help further their career or further their development in different ways. So I think that's where we've got to, and at a, a prior organization, uh, we had a BRG network. We had about 14,000 members across all of our BRGs. We did a campaign called You Don't Have to Be to Belong. We increased our, or our participation to 27,000 people. That's how you make an organization truly inclusive. You create the psychological safety that we talked about earlier, some of those kind of things. And I know our global equity, diversity, and inclusion team is thinking about how do we build that kind of participation. Drop the mic. <laughs> Hi, my name is Morgan Arline. I've been with the Boeing company about six years now in January, and I currently work in Oklahoma City. So I know Mike currently asked about what you guys as leader do for the untapped potentials, but I kind of want to ask advice what us early career, mid-career um, engineers, non-managers can do to help you guys push that call to action for the untapped potentials. And then how do you guys help us push for that change if we do see those potentials not being used? I just want to call out Morgan. Not only did she step to the mic, she took the mic in her hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't believe she's going to give the mic up. So <laughs> y'all are going to miss lunch. Um, so I'll start and I will invite you to work with me and help me put together a group that will help us identify ways to tap into that untapped potential. You clearly have a passion for it. You're clearly bold. Um, and I would love for you to do that and work with me and we'll pull in some other people to really talk about, including our partners in LLOC, to talk about how we can focus on a community that we really don't have a good focus on today so let's connect after this, and I'd love to do that. Yeah, and Michael, may, maybe even extending reach or refreshing reaches charter might be another, another way because that had been highly successful in many areas, and I know as it scaled, uh, but maybe it's time to refresh the charter and take into account some of the, some of this feedback. So um, my name is Francesca Phillip. I'm a student at SUNY Maritime College studying mechanical engineering. Um, my question isn't, you know, big Boeing related because, you know, I'm still a student, but I just wanted to know, I know you guys talked about like approaching changes. How would you approach a situation where you're not ready to change, but you notice that your environment is like changing really fast? Like how would, what would the mindset be for you to approach that situation and help yourself change for better? I think the first thing is having an open mindset and then trying to assess, you know, kind of landscape of the change that you think is coming and um, try to figure out what things you might need to do to be prepared for that. So um, if you know that there is going to be a shift, maybe the focus is going to be on, um, you know, recruiting certain types of students or if there are going to be opportunities um, to be able to do certain things on your campus or you know, what do you need to do to be able to take advantage of this change that's coming your way? Um, are there people you might need to engage with and talk to to be able to help you to be more prepared for that change? Um, so just trying to figure out how to reach out and make sure that, that you're as, as ready and positioned well for whatever is coming around the corner um, and just lean into it. Um, I think that would be the, the best pathway from our perspective. I think Denise, that, that is great advice. The only other thing I'd add is like a support system. And Denise hit on several of that. I know in times of my career where I've had to move or change jobs, because I can't keep a job, 
Um, you know, and it's like everything changing at once, having at least some things stable at the same time. So um, I don't want to read into your question too much, but definitely um, try to have some, some things stable so not everything's changing at the same time, and then having some kind of support system in place. You know, at least, at least help so you have people to talk to and to work through or maybe to have been through different aspects that can support. And then the one thing I would add is help the people leading that change or championing the change or sponsoring the change anticipate the roadblocks to that change, right? Sometimes at a leader level, you can drink the Kool-Aid and you think, um, oh, I don't know, management empowerment is a great thing to do. But if you don't listen to the managers and get feedback on self-service and how they're already overtapped, you may not get it right. So help be that person that helps see around the corner and develop that superpower because by helping leaders think through change to around the corner and those consequences, you can help ensure the success of whatever that change initiative was. Thank you. I am Paul Whitmore. I work in propulsion systems. I've been in uh, aerospace for almost 17 years. 14 of those is, is uh, with Boeing. Um, at the beginning, oh, well, I should say, I like being at Bayer. I like seeing everyone uh, getting the awards. This is kind of tying in with, with uh, uh, my question here about the untapped potential. I believe Denise said that, um, actually, I wrote it. There's an expectation of innovation um, in, in some roles, I would say, and you said that. Uh, in other roles, there's not really an expectation of innovation. There's an expectation that we're going to get your job done, and that's all we want you to do. Um, as I've progressed through my career, um, I noticed there's changes in priorities. So at the beginning, I had a lot of time. I can um, do stuff at work and outside of work related to work. Um, that's my nine to five. As I've uh, grown um, in my family, now I have a five to nine, and um, I'm trying to figure out how to um, tap into my potential without disrupting my five to nine as much. Um, and, I'm, and I'm wondering, how are you creating that space within your organizations for folks to um, kind of show their potential and, and be innovative during that nine to five without going into the five to nine. Yeah, and it's, it's all about, um, I care less about the hours and more about the outcomes. And I think we gotta drive to more outcome, outcome based versus, um, you know, a clock mentality. Cause true innovation is really, you know, we, we, could, we could innovate in um, short cycles and get things done. And I think in our business, we have such a geographically diverse um, locations, including international. Um, we've got diverse product sets. We really have to be open to um, work hours, how we collaborate, the type of environment, leveraging digital, video, web. Um, I'm virtual a lot of the times as, as the leader of the organization. And we, we work at you know, multiple hours across the day to your point because whether it's lifestyle driven or it's time zone driven or uh, for whatever reason, we have to leverage the entire organization and we have to be open to that and adjust. Maybe it requires an adjustment on leadership's part to be able to accommodate um, a scenario so that we can get the best uh, minds working on our problems and solving and innovating for us. So I can tell you in autonomous systems, that is how we work because we are so geographically diverse, all different times of day. We've got um, young parents or caring for uh, older parents or whatever the situation is. And it's we, we have to be open to that. The world is a different place and we will be left behind if we're not um, thinking differently about that. We, we do that as a, a matter of business in our, our line of work. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, I wanted to take probably a little bit more personal view from um, 
on your question. So the way I personally manage that problem is I have a set number of hours that my son and daughter are guaranteed on my life and, and work that to the left. Um, but within that time, it's how do I maximize the value that I'm providing for the company? And I'll take you back probably 20 years ago, um, you know, I had a job, it was to basically do the same thing. I noticed some repetition and you talk about how, you, how long you need to plan your activities out. But I did all of that math and I said, I'm gonna be working this job for the next 30 years, I'm not going anywhere. I need, a, I need an exit plan. Um, you are empowered to innovate in the baseline task that you're working every day. I'll tell you what I did, I called myself lazy for it, but uh, essentially, turn myself into a software hack because I'm sitting next to uh, software experts. So, but I was an engineer, I went and learned software and I said, you know, this algorithm that I'm applying to this data that I'm reviewing 100 times per day, if I learned software and did a little bit of machine learning. I can probably automate some reports and PowerPoints and get done early and go kind of look for other jobs in that time. Um, so I kind of use that to drive value in the company, but also free up a little bit of time for myself, right? Um, but, but the key here is I did not ask. I actually took a, a short-term loss. Um, my supervisor at that time was saying, where's your work at? And I knew there was going to be a period of development where I was not going to get work done for that next week or two, but for the next few years, and this product line became very successful. To this day, they're still using that software that I I didn't ask for permission to go do that. Uh, that was already there. So think about that. Uh, don't ask for, you don't have to ask for money. You don't have to, but it's our, our leadership's job is to enable you and give you those resources. But think about what you can do without it. Yeah, I, I kind of see where you guys are going with the answers here. But let me, let me just be clear. Okay. We do that. Um, okay. We A lot of us feel empowered of doing that. What I'm asking really is, what are you doing to create the space for folks to do that? You have to model it. So if I understood your question, you tell me if I got it right or not. You're saying, you know, you're kind of doing this nine to five and you're trying to figure out how to not let it creep into your personal life so you actually have one. Is that where you're going? So it's modeling. And Dave will tell you yeah, because absolutely. he was my chief of staff for a period of time. And so I'd set expectations with my team and that I am going to be going home because I have children and I want to see them grow up. And that my expectation is that he had a young son, that he had obligations to go pick up his son. You handle that. Because I believe that you are the most effective for whatever hours that you are sitting in your office doing your work, if you are happy in those hours you are outside of work. And if it means that, you know, you're flexing and flubbing and, you know, things are happening for, you know, six hours and then you're gone and you're coming back and doing whatever you need to do and a couple hours later, then do that. I, my, my kids play sports, so I may disappear because I have a basketball game at three o'clock and you, I will pop back up online and do whatever I have to do. So I think it's important that, you know, as a leader, that I'm modeling that so that my team feels that they are empowered to do it, that they're not going to be looked on negatively when they do that. Um, if they're getting their job done, you know, where it happens and at what time it happens, so be it. I agree, and I, I emphasize that it's outcome-based. I, You know, measuring hours, it's what you get done and how quickly you can get done. Renault's story, too, and I, it starts with us, and Denise, I know she and I have the same philosophy. I have some of my team in the room. I, I have a life, too, and I enjoy my life. <laughs> I love my work, but I enjoy my life, and I love my family, and, and you have to set I respect boundaries. yours. You have to set those boundaries, and and be steadfast in them. Because I, I believe that no one will remember five years from now whether or not I was at that meeting at three o'clock on Friday. But my son will remember yes. if I was not at that game and if he yes. got a touchdown, yep. I was not Makes you a better leader. All right, hold on one second. Just for the sake of time, because we're running low on time, um, we have time for, I would say, two more questions. Um, and we'll try to keep it brief to only have one panel member to try to answer it. Okay, so for my question, I need 
more than one <laughs> because oh. it's, it's, it's related to leadership. So this whole theme, uh, well, first off, let me introduce myself. My name is Lakeisha Tomlin, not at the Boeing Company, <laughs> but um, I, um, I love this whole theme of change. And a lot of you talked about your careers and how you moved around, um, not only uh, in some cases from different organizations, but within the organization. And my question to you all is, what uh, sort of methodologies or things that you do in order to get up to speed to, uh, well, with your new organization as quickly as possible, although you may not have understood all of the work that is involved in the organization? So first, and you mentioned this, get out and listen. So um, talking with the team, and when I have a new team, um, I will go out and ask questions about um, what is it that we do well? What is it that we don't do well? And what is it that you hope I won't do? So people are always afraid of a new leader coming in and messing something up or changing something. And so, you know, to understand and then to, it gets the fears out on the table. So, you know, I think that, you know, getting out and listening, um, then understanding from whoever my boss is, what are the expectations that they have of me and what their goals are? So, you know, if there is something that I can do to help to enable that um, as I'm setting my priorities, and that it also helps you to focus. I mean, because I came into Boeing three years ago. I mean, we talked about the product portfolio. That's a whole lot. And it's like, well, where do you focus at first? And understanding the top programs so that I could become proficient in that, understanding what some of the change initiatives were that were underway, how can I contribute to that? So really kind of understanding your environment and what's important so you can, you know, keep those glass balls up as the other ones may kind of hit the ground, but they're not as important. So quickly build on that. There's a book called The First 90 Days. Mm -hmm. It is perfect for whoever you are at whatever level you're going to an organization. It's a great guide. Watkins. Yeah. Watkins. You can wrote it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think um, being prepared, so do your research in the areas that Denise talked about, I think is really important ahead of time. So it is on you to go set up stakeholders, team, customer, et cetera, and just kind of get the lay of the land and get input so you are prepared, but do your research before. And it doesn't mean you have to be like ready for the job, right? So don't, don't get scared away from the job, lean into it, uh, but be prepared and do your research. Perfect. Good morning. Uh, my name is Kayla, and I'm a propulsion design engineer uh, based out of the Boeing SoCal Design Center. Um, so, Mr. Turpin, you mentioned um, that model-based engineering is not a tool and it's a culture. So, um, I would like to share a story about uh, the introduction of model-based engineering to my team, where uh, we had an all-team meeting and uh, one of the discussion points was the transition to model-based engineering. And one of my teammates said, well, is it is it really that valuable to invest the resources in model-based engineering for programs that have existed for decades? And so uh, he brought a good point and his perspective to the table of challenging change. But um, I would like to know where do we draw the line or identify um, good challenges to change or having having that challenge be a throttle to progress? That's a great question. One of the problems that we have when we talk about initiatives like model-based engineering, the reason I said it's a culture is because there's some core tenets of what it's trying to accomplish. Whenever you lead with the tool and not with the intent is behind it, typically the, the resistance to change is astronomical. What's the value? We've done this before, but when I talk about the culture behind model-based engineering, it's about making sure that engineering is making sure that they understand the implications of design changes in the manufacturing cycle, that those decisions that that engineer makes are accounted for because they're looking at the cost um, and producibility of that product. So the question is, does your organization, does your program, do you need to interact with each other, okay, and what, how often do you need to interact, and would you like a, I would say, a platform to, to enable that? If the answer to those questions is yes, which it usually is definitely on a development program, uh, then there's value to be had. 
so the, the challenge is creating that, that value proposition uh, if you're trying to insert something on the program. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I'm going to be working with Pat on is how we actually form that value proposition as we're trying to insert these tools on various programs. I think there's opportunity uh, to, to edify our population and, and employees to help in there. No, so I was going to say, just for the panel, um, 30 seconds or less, is there any final thoughts that you want to leave with the audience? And <laughs> be empowered, you know, take it on. You, you, you can be that change. Go for it. Change is good. Embrace it. <laughs> I'm looking out. I see a wonderful group of intelligent, empowered people. Just bring yourself to work every day. Um, and I'm going to use a Maya Angelou quote at the end. I'll probably paraphrase it. And that is, um, people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you do. But they'll always remember how you made them feel. And a lot of the questions that we had today were about how we feel or how you're made to feel. So just keep that in mind in your career. If you're a leader, remember. If you're an aspiring leader, remember. Or even if you're not a leader, help the leader feel in a way that's compelled to work for a positive solution. So. We'll really like to thank you guys um, for a wonderful panel. Thank you for listening to the conclusion of Turning Disruptors into Enablers, a professional development seminar presented by The Boeing Company, featuring Vice President, Global Head of Talent, Michael Cox, Vice President of Information Technology, Denise Russell Fleming, Vice President and General Manager, Kristen Robertson, Interim Director, IT and Data Analytics, David Canada, and Chief Engineer and CTO, Raynard Turpin. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.